You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Communities are built when people gather around shared values or purpose. For us, we gather to celebrate what Jesus has done for us and to encourage each other in our faith. We believe church is a gift, but how can we make it even better? We're going back to the basics as we explore what it means to do life together. My name is Jake Hotchkiss. I'm an associate pastor here at Schweitzer. Welcome. I am glad to be here. I hope you are too. And uh, we are going to start this morning right here in Scripture, same verse we've been reading for the past two weeks. We're just looking at a different part of it. So here we are, Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him, that is Jesus, again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Uh, so we are in this series that we're calling Life Together. This is the last of a three-week series. Um, the first week, we looked at uh, the first part of that commandment, which is to love God with your whole, whole self. Last week, we looked at loving your neighbor. And this week, we're going to look at uh, really the third part of that commandment, which is more so uh, implicit than it is explicit, and that is to love yourself. And sort of the question that we're asking is, how does this commandment, the command to love generally, um, create a foundation for unity within the church? If you were here a couple weeks ago, you may remember uh, Pastor Spencer's video that he played with all of the metronomes clicking at a different rate. And they all started just in, in chaos. And by the end of the video, through their shared vibrations, uh, they were all clicking at the exact same timing in unison. And so the question is, how do we as a church, uh, if if each one of us is like one of those metronomes, uh, clicking at a unique rate with unique passions and desires and and gifts and talents and um, goals in life and personalities and, you know, what backgrounds, how do we as a church work in harmony and in unison with one another? And how does uh, this command to love really create that foundation for us? So uh, before we really get into this this morning, one thing that I'd just like to uh, pass your attention to is here in the bulletin, um, if you opened it up, you might have noticed this sheet. And I'm not going to talk about this uh, much this morning, but this is just, uh, as we talk about loving yourself this morning, um, this is a, a great place to start. It, it just it lists tons of truths found throughout Scripture, and it even tells you where to find them um, about who you are in God, how, you, how and why you are loved, and that sort of thing. Um, I'd encourage you that if my, my sermon gets really boring or if you have tr- uh, difficulty following, just start reading this. I won't be offended, okay? Spend, spend your time in here. Um, that'll be just fine. So, the reason... 
that loving yourself is so important. Um, I think it's somewhat obvious, but let's say it anyway. Um, If you are going to love your neighbor as yourself, right, then your love for your neighbor depends on how well you love yourself. If you love yourself a lot and you love your neighbor as you love yourself, then you'll love your neighbor a lot, right? And if you love yourself a little, then again, following the same logic, you will love your neighbor a little. And so this morning, we must understand it's important to love yourself a lot. In fact, to love yourself like God loves you. Um, it, this makes sense, right? From a, from a behavioral perspective, for instance, uh, uh, like love as in action. This is the classic example that if a plane is going down um, and, and the oxygen mask comes out, you got to apply your own mask first before you're of any use to someone else, right? Um, in the Christian life, in the same way, we've got to learn what it looks like to actively love yourself, to nurture your mind and your soul and your body so that you can be Christ to those around you, right? So you got to learn to love yourself so that you can love others. Uh, from more of an emotional perspective, like how you view yourself, right? Thinking more like love as a, as a feeling, for instance. Um, when I think of my own life, I think about uh, at times when I dislike myself, even hate myself, um, those times, often for me, it's after um, I've fallen back into sin, maybe, or maybe it's if I've been sinned against, or, you know, but uh, those times when I hate myself, I sort of shut off from people. I take it out, uh, especially on those closest to me. They bear the brunt of it. I get uh, irritable and angry and short and crass. I kind of close off in my shell. And this is sort of human nature, right? We see this in uh, the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam and Eve, they sin. And the first thing that they do upon realizing that they're naked and they feel shame, what do they do? They hide from God and they cover themselves from one another. They cover themselves from one another. They, they protect themselves from one another. Essentially, right, they no longer feel safe being or giving their whole selves to one another, being their true selves in front of one another. And in doing so, they disable themselves from being able to fully love one another. And so God's work has been throughout the course of human history and continues to be taking off that false self, that false exterior that we, has put, that we have put up, right, to keep ourselves at a safe distance from others so that we might be our true selves in all our glory and giving ourselves, not, being, not worried about uh, being rejected or being hurt, but truly giving our whole selves to one another. God is working uh, to create uh, this, this type of community, where we as brothers and sisters in Christ who are perfectly comfortable and in love with ourselves, right, are able to give of our whole selves to one another, to be truly one. As Christ and the Father are one, we are to be one with one another, right? And this starts with understanding how to love ourselves. So how? How might we do this? Um, I'm going to be Honest, as of yesterday evening at about five o'clock, I had nothing. I felt like I was, I felt like I just, I had a ton of ideas and not much like scriptural grounding. I don't just want to tell you, you know, what Jake thinks or whatever. And it just dawned on me, like I feel like God just sort of whispered in my ear, um, Colossians. The reason I tell you this, the the book of Colossians, um, in my opinion, there is no better place in scripture to learn about who you are, 
in Christ. And there's no better place to learn about why you are so loved by God, why you as a human being, as a son or a daughter of God, are in fact so lovable. Um, and so God took me here to Colossians 3, and we're going to spend our time together today in Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. So here we go. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these things, the anger of God is coming, or the wrath of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Do not lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. We're going to stop there and then we'll read the rest here in a few minutes. So if I could sum up everything that we just read in one sentence, it would be like this. Die to your old self and live into your new self. Now, Paul, in our discussion of loving ourselves, right, offers us, um, well, he kind of sort of throws a wrench or a curveball into this whole discussion because what he comes out with is this idea that you have two selves. You have your old self and you have your new self. And so if you're going to love yourself, you got to know which one of those selves to love, right? Now, there is an old you. This is the you that ignores God. This is the, the greedy you, Paul says. This is the sexually immoral and lustful you. This is the uh, jealous you. This is the gluttonous you. This is the angry you. This is the uh, addictive you. This is the lazy you, the selfish you, the anxious you, etc., etc. Um, and Paul leaves no room for speculation here. You got to take that you out back behind the barn and shoot it. That's it. Put it to death, he says. Put to death your sinful, earthly self. There is no room for him or her in your life. And you know, I think sometimes I treat my old self like a, like a 57 Chevy or something. I don't know. Like, I don't really know cars that well. I, I literally just picked a, a year and a make, and I'm hoping that makes sense. Like, I, I hope 57 Chevy is like a thing. Uh... But, you know, like an old vintage car. I, t I treat my old self like this, like this 57 Chevy. I, I keep them in the garage for special occasions, you know. Um, that's the vintage Jake. Uh, he's fun to ride at times. Uh, he reminds me of the past, you know, that nostalgia. Uh, 
Obviously, I'm not riding him to work every day. I'm not wearing him around all the time. It's just, again, special occasions. Um, I get around my old buddies, you know, and he just finds his way out of the garage. You get what I'm saying? And sometimes it's like, how did this happen? How did this old Jake come out? How did he get out of the garage? And that's the wrong question to ask. The right question is, why is he still in the garage? Why do you still even have this? Why do you own this thing anymore? That's the old self. You got to burn it. We should not love or hang on to our old selves. Our old selves, friends, need to die. There's nothing special or pretty or fun or worth hanging on to about our old selves. Although it's certainly tempting to to think that there is. And it's certainly a, a fearful thing for myself, I'll just admit, to get rid of that old 57 Chevy, that old vintage Jake. And Paul says... There's a new you. This new you is the you that loves God and that pays attention to God and gives time to God. This new you is the the you that serves people and loves people. This is the healthy you, the you who has self-control and patience, who is gentle and kind and honest and humble. And if you're like me, um, you're thinking... Yeah, that's, that sounds really boring. That's the boring me. But let me tell you something. That new you, although it may appear to be a Prius on the outside, is a Ferrari under the hood. I want to reread for you these verses, three and four. Paul says, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden under the hood. It is hidden With Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, not like your life, not kind of or partially your life, when Christ, who is your life, appears, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory, all of it. What this means is that the new you is not some some, uh, slightly modified toned down, fuel-efficient version of you that you should be afraid of driving. You know, it's, it is, this is Christ in all his glory is the new you. This is the God Almighty. This is the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor. You hear me? This is perfect love. This is power and infinity. This is you. This is the divine nature that God says, come and take part in. This is the whole universe as your inheritance, friends. This is why I preach. Is to proclaim the good news like this. I mean, I think even our idea of heaven sometimes is just so boring. Like, yeah, we'll get to go and have this big family reunion. And it's like, I mean... Come on, who likes a family reunion for more than like three hours anyway? You know, like, we're talking eternity, a family reunion with no end? Come on, like there is so much more to the new you, to the eternal you. 
than you ever dared to dream or imagine. And if you think it looks like a Prius on the outside, just know that it is a Ferrari under the hood. Do not be afraid of getting rid of that old 57 Chevy in the garage, that old vintage you. Do not be afraid of stepping into this new you. I remember uh, like six or seven years ago, God was really working in my life. I was experiencing Christianity for like the first time ever. I'm really, God's tugging at my heart. And I sat down with Kayla, my wife. We were dating at the time. And I started telling her like, and I was speaking very uh, like, nebulously. I didn't even really know what I was saying, but I was just telling her, look, like, the me that you used to know is not me anymore, and I'm going to be changing, and, you know, we're not going to be able to do these things anymore. You know, it's, and, and I remember she just started breaking down in tears, and we ended up even getting in an argument because she was just so afraid that I would become boring, and that we would become boring, you know, <laughs> like, what, who is this new person who Jake thinks he's going to be, and, and, uh, and I didn't know, you know, But I'll tell you, there's nothing to be afraid of. And if you ever doubt that, come back to this verse and know that the new you is summed up in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who has existed since the beginning of time, in whom all things are held together and through whom all things were created. This is the God of the universe. <laughs> And somehow, mysteriously and yet magnificently, this is also you. What wonderful news. You are a new creation in Christ. If God's chief way of loving you was to die for you, then shouldn't your chief way of loving you be to die to yourself? God died not for your old self, not for your sinful self. He died for the new you, for the future you, for the potential you, for all that and then some. So the first way of loving yourself is just to step into that. Let's read on. Verse 11, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. So all of these worldly categories that you get grouped in and placed in, whatever, just, it doesn't matter. That's not you. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Verse 12, since God chose you, to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others, including yourself, by the way. Above all, clothe yourselves with, with love, which binds us all together in perfect unity. There it is. That's the series we're in right now. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. 
teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. There's that word again. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, that's the third time, through him to God the Father. So I hope you know where I'm going. Three times, Paul says, give thanks. I remember a conversation I had with someone uh, a few years back, someone who I'm close to, and it was sort of an awkward conversation. Uh, this person was actually being very uh, like complimentary towards me. And in a way, what, what they were saying was it was coming from a very kind and generous and loving place. Um, but what they were telling me is that you should be proud of where you are, Jake. You should be proud of what you've done, decisions you've made, uh, what you've accomplished, etc. And again, they, they were... Being kind. Um, and my response was something like, while I appreciate what it is that you're saying to me, um, I'm not proud, I'm thankful. And this sparked this sort of odd disagreement where neither of us really knew how to understand what the other was saying or how to explain where we were coming from. But um, the disagreement, at the end of the day, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And it was about whether or not pride was an acceptable human behavior. Ultimately, it came down to that. And so I want to talk about this for a second. Um, in essence, he, he felt, this person felt, that my refusal to take pride in the things I had done and whatever uh, was being dismissive of my own role in the way things played out in my life. And I felt that his insistence that I take pride was too dismissive of the role that God and others have played in getting me to where I was. Does that make sense? So it was kind of this back and forth. And um, in this way, what I'm trying to show you is how pride and thanksgiving are actually opposites of one another. You see, uh, pride says, look at what I've done Look at what I've earned. Gratitude says, look at what God and others have freely given to me. Pride is based entirely on merit. Gratitude is based entirely on grace. And so I'll come back around. Stick with me here for a second. And I've given a lot of thought to this before and after. And I'm a pastor, so I got to know, like, it, does pride have any place in the human heart, friends? And I stand where I stood that day a few years back with the same conclusion. Pride has no place in the human heart. Because to be proud of anything ever, regardless of how factually true it is uh, that you did X, Y, or Z, is to misunderstand the very essence of life itself. That from the moment of conception until the day you die and beyond into eternity, life is a gift. It always has been. It always will be. The source of every good thing is our Father in heaven. And, it, and he, there need, we need no other explanation than the fact that God did this. Um, I, at group night on Wednesday, I, we looked at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, and I just, I've really been in this scripture recently because Paul, he says these words, you may know them, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. The great apostle Paul, 
Like you talk about accomplishments in this Christian life, right? And he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So he gives God all the credit, right? And then he says, uh, and God's grace to me was not in vain, but on the contrary, I worked harder than anyone. So he almost like lets you feel as if he, he takes a little bit of credit back for himself. Like, yeah, like God did all this, but then I worked harder than anyone. But then he does something, he just throws you for an entire loop. He, he says, but it was not I, but the grace of God within me. So even that hard work that I put in was not me. It was actually the grace of God. It was actually the work of Jesus Christ within me. And so he, he gives God all the credit. It seems like he takes a little back and he says, no, just kidding. God gets all the credit. Praise God, hallelujah. And here's ultimately why this is so important. I'm going to connect all of this back to loving yourself. You see, uh, pride, friends, bears no fruit in the soul. The world uh, tells you that in order to love yourself, you must take pride in who you are. Anytime you hear that word, run. Even that language is just straight from the devil. The world thinks, says that loving yourself means to take pride in who you are. And what I'm saying is that beyond that initial sense of self-satisfaction that pride gives you, it bears no fruit. It's pointless. But every time that you give thanks, you plant a deep seed in your mind and your soul. Almost an imperceptible seed. And that seed is this. What you tell yourself when you give thanks is that if everything that is good has been, giving, has been given to me as a gift, then that must mean someone really loves me. I must be lovable. The seed that you plant when you give thanks is that if despite my flaws and my failures and my mistakes and my shortcomings, I continue to be blessed, then someone must really think that I'm worth it. Do you hear me? This is the value in giving thanks, as Paul tells us to do here, is that in this way, giving thanks is to acknowledge that you have been loved, i.e. that you are lovable. That you are worth it. You may have heard of a woman named uh, Brene Brown. She, she's a social worker, a researcher, um, and she does TED Talks and write books. And uh, She's been really popular lately. Um, she claims that 90% of, uh, of the people who she meets, uh, that she observes ha ha they have a good self-image and who love themselves, they do one thing really well. And that one thing, she says, is that they are really good at giving thanks, at being thankful. That's her, that's her conclusion. Um, and the reason I think this is so cool is because sometimes this goal of loving ourselves this is, it just seems very elusive. What can I do to feel differently about myself, to act differently towards myself? And um, I haven't found a good way to practice feeling lovable, you know, but, but this right here... It, you can practice giving thanks. I don't even need to tell you how to start practicing that. Can you? you can practice giving thanks. And in doing so, in doing so, I, I truly believe 
that over time that seed will sprout and begin to bear fruit in your soul and that you will begin to see yourself as God does and as others should. And uh, this morning, that's the very thing that we're going to practice here together, um, is, is giving thanks. I, we have before us uh, the bread and the juice, which I will pray over that it would be effectively the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. This sacrament, uh, you may know it as Holy Communion, uh, or some of you as Mass, or the Lord's Supper. My favorite word for this, it's actually my least favorite and my favorite word for it, is the Eucharist. My least favorite, because no one knows what that means. My favorite is because what it means, the Eucharist, is thanksgiving. It means thanksgiving. And I, I think a lot of us have been influenced, myself included, by um, most of our lives coming to this sacrament almost as if it's like a funeral procession. I'm going to wear my, you know, my black hat and veil over my face and confess my sins before God and, you know, give myself you know, lashes in the back, <laughs> you have to pay my penance and whatever. And, uh, and that's not historically what communion or the Eucharist is supposed to be. It is primarily thanksgiving. So, so I, when you come and receive this morning, one thing I want you to do is certainly confess your sins, acknowledge your sins before God, repent, you know, but, but that's not the focus. The focus is not on what you have or haven't done. The focus is on what Christ has done. And we need not question what he has done. We come to this meal and we proclaim what he has done. You hear me? We proclaim that Christ stands here before us this morning continually offering us his forgiveness, his presence in our lives, his strength, his support, his wisdom, and any healing that we need, body, mind, soul. Ain't that something to give thanks for this morning? In a moment here, um, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, uh, the servers will come forward, and you will, you'll come forward, and you'll take the bread, and you'll dip it into the cup. There will be gluten-free communion over there on that table if you need it. Um, and I want you to know that all of you, whether you're a member of this church or not, are welcome to this table. Not because I or we welcome you, but because Christ. God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit welcome you to come and receive and to know that you are loved. Let's pray.